welcome to the podcast Pod Ipsa Locator, the podcast for Connecticut trial attorneys by Connecticut trial attorneys, with your hosts, John Kennedy and Mike Walsh. This podcast was recorded on Friday, August 7th at 2 p.m. Eastern. Hello and welcome to the first episode of Pod Ipsa Locator, a production of the CTLA CLE Committee. That's a lot of acronyms, I know. I'm sorry. CTLA stands for the Connecticut Trial Lawyers Association, and CLE stands for the Continuing Legal Education Committee. My name is Mike Walsh, and I'm here with John Kennedy, and as the very nice anonymous lady just said, we will be your co-hosts for this production. Right now, in Connecticut, we're in the middle of a pandemic, and it's, it's a really a strange time. Everything is being done remotely. Um, all of the depositions, status conferences, pre-trials, our interaction with the court, it's all being done by video. Um, and as trial attorneys, we're not getting any chance to see each other. Usually in the courts of the courtroom, we spend a lot of time talking every day. Um, we go to attorney meetings at night, CTLA meetings. We do not have our CTLA annual meeting this year, which a lot of people always attend. So it's, it's really kind of a strange time. The main reason this podcast was developed was to promote a sense of community among trial attorneys. We wanted to be able to talk to each other and to hear other trial attorneys talking. Um, I should note that during the course of this podcast, we hope to have a lot of different attorneys as speakers. It's not going to be just, just me and John. On the contrary, it's mostly going to be other attorneys coming in and talking to us. And we're going to talk about a whole wide range of topics. We're going to discuss office management. We're going to be talking about what the courts are doing, obviously. We're going to be talking about what the insurance carriers are doing. Are they settling cases? Uh, how do we move these cases in order to keep our practices afloat? And we're also going to have an educational component. We're going to discuss recent uh, Connecticut case law and how it affects personal injury practices. Um, please be kind to us. We're doing this on a zero budget. None of us really have any experience with podcasts. We're learning as we go, so to speak. Um, I want to thank my paralegal, Melissa Kern. She's been uh, incredible help in trying to figure this all out. And I also want to uh, thank my co-host, John Kennedy. John is really one of the most knowledgeable guys I know when it comes to the law and the practice of law and really life in general. I always enjoy listening to John speak. So uh, I want to thank you, John, for agreeing to jump into another crazy idea of mine. And uh, you're always right there with me. So John, what are your thoughts on this? Well, first, Mike, I want to thank you. It's a great idea. And every everybody has to know that it's Mike's idea because it's technically oriented. And I am the least technical person, uh, probably in the practice of law. Interesting thing, we, you know, this quarantine and COVID, uh, you know, the Chinese curse, we live in interesting times kind of applies. Uh, one thing I have learned about myself in the last few weeks, last few months, I should say, is that you can adapt. I've had to learn how to do Zoom and Teams meetings. I've even learned how to scan with my cell phone to send documents. Uh, one of the bright sides is I haven't had to wear a tie, except maybe once <laughs> or twice in the last six months. 
But uh, I do think there's lots of things for us to talk about. And uh, as Mike said, we're looking for input from everybody in CTLA. If people have ideas about how we can better move our cases, how we can discuss things so that we can move forward. You know, one of the things I was thinking about this morning was, you know, the message is that, you know, we've been through wars in this country. We've been through recessions and depressions. We've even been through a a flu in the past, a pandemic in the past, and throughout that entire system, entire span of time, our system of, of civil justice has survived and continued to flourish. And so uh, I'm looking at it positively. I think we're going to get through this too and come out on the other side better off. I want to thank Mike for getting this set up and get started. Well, thank you, John. And we now have our, our very first uh, guest speaker on the podcast, and I can think of no better person than uh, John Houlihan. Um, as many of you know, John Houlihan is a partner at uh, Riscossi and Davis, and really one of the most uh, experienced you know, plaintiff's personal injury lawyers that I know. Um, and he's also uh, just a really, really good guy and a very interesting guy to listen to. So John, I'm going to bring you in. Um, uh, I see that you're your video's off, but that's okay since we're a podcast. Can you hear us, John? I can. I think I was trying to save some bandwidth. Uh, good idea. <laughs> so, John, thank you for participating in this. Um, and, you know, nothing is scripted here. We don't have anything written out. We're really just, you know, hoping today to just kind of generate a discussion about what all of us are doing. So, John, give us an overview. How has this whole pandemic affected you and your firm? And, you know, what are, what are some of the things you're doing to, to get through it? <clears throat> Well, first, let me also thank you for putting this together and uh, being the very first speaker. I'm, I'm worried with uh, whether or not I'm going to be like the first captain of the Titanic if this doesn't go well. So, uh, I guess I, I'm thanking you and warning you that you better make a good one. Uh, I would also echo what John said. I, I was very, very fearful when this all unfolded. It really hit us by surprise. I remember being very busy you know, day after day, and I, I can't remember the exact day, but we gathered the entire staff in the office when the governor was telling everyone to shut down. And that was sometime in early March. And I have not seen some of those people since that day. Uh, I've certainly not seen that collection of people, and I don't know when I will next see all of them in the same room. So I would think that my experience and our experience has been pretty uh emblematic of what everyone's going through. So we went from a very sudden stop uh, and we threw together a program or a protocol about what we were gonna do and how we were gonna do it. And like your office, cause I know you and I have talked about strategy, keeping the boat afloat during this time. So we've, we've went from a complete and immediate shutdown to all lawyers, paralegals working at home to some, uh, you know, a handful of people coming in on a semi-regular basis to now a regular basis. And it's sort of evolved to a fairly regular routine now. We're at a point now where we have half staff some days, less than that on other days, never have full staff. It's sort of like hot rack in a submarine. So we're doing the best we can, but I, like John, I think we're learning a lot about the economies that are available to do our work. And we're learning a lot about ourselves and our, our partners and our staff. You know what I'm most worried about, and I'm going to open this up to both John Houlihan and John Kidd. I'm most worried about the fact that we don't have any jury trials. Um, you know, I think the small cases, from my experience, has been they're, they're settling. You know, um, I haven't I haven't seen too much reduction in value on those, but the big cases. You know, 
I don't know if I'm going to be able to settle those without a jury trial um, scheduled and, you know, a mediation two weeks before. So that's, that's my biggest concern. And this, I mean, we're not getting jury trials until next summer in Hartford. That's when they're scheduling them. And God knows if they're even go, going to go forward. What do you guys, what are your thoughts on that? Either one, John Kennedy or John Houlihan? Well, I, right, well I'll start only because Stephanie, she's going to talk in a minute, but Stephanie uh, has tried to address some of this stuff. You know, there's a COVID committee, and then there's a jury committee that Stephanie set up to kind of look at some of these issues. Uh, I don't know when the next jury trial is going to be either. Uh, Everybody should know that Judge Abrams has a task force that's supposed to come out with a report. We understand it's going to be sometime in early September about what the judiciary sees in terms of civil jury trials. There are other states that have actually already done protocols. Uh, I understand that some of those trials have gone forward with very uh, varying uh, results. But the jury committee, and I can't speak to any conclusion yet because we've only had two meetings, but we've had some discussions about how we can help the judiciary to try to get a program or a protocol for a trial. Because I, you know, I'm one of the people who agrees with you. There are other people who want to wait until there's a vaccine, Mike. There's a lot of different views on this. But um, I also am of the opinion that you are that without that, those jury trials in the offing, eventually there's going to be difficulty in resolving some cases. As you know, I sometimes sit as a mediator too, and I will say this, that most of the carriers that have come through the mediations have been come ready to resolve cases. There are some, though, that have come with a seeming attempt to try to steal the cases, so to speak, Yeah. knowing that there's, they don't say it out loud, but, but you get the sense that they're not really ready to talk because they know it's going to be a trial. But I do think that is a big concern. We do need that jury trial. And let me just jump in here uh, to Stephanie that John was referring to is Stephanie Roberge, and she is currently the president of the CTLA, and we're going to be introducing her and um, asking her a few questions in, in just a few moments. Um, but that's what scares me. I mean, my, my theory right now is I'm trying to continue discovery in all my cases. I'm trying to take depositions by video and keep the case progressing so that if and when we do get jury trials again, at least the case will be ready. My trouble is I'm facing defendants, and not all defense counsel, um, but I am facing a lot of defense counsel who are resisting uh, video discovery. And I know even within the CTLA, if you look at the CTLA listserv, there's a, you know, there's a slit of opinion on this. But my view is I, I don't think there's that much of a difference between a video deposition and a regular deposition. There's a little, but we all have to make sacrifices. But I want these cases progress because you know what? Sometimes when discovery is totally done, you can talk settlement even if you don't have a jury trial. John Poulihan, are you facing resistance from defense counsel, you know, with regards to scheduling depositions? And if so, how, how are you handling that? It, it varies tremendously. Um, uh, just to jump back very briefly on the settlement situation, I'm finding it, the ability to settle cases right now seems inversely proportional to the size of that case. Uh, and I'm sure I'm stating the obvious, but the, the average case, the not so average case uh, in terms of size, that's moving fine. They're, they're agreeing to court trials, they're arbitrating them, they're settling them. But as you get into more serious cases, more complex cases, there's a, there's a hard stop on the discussion. So in terms of moving forward with depositions, I've had some resistance from 
believe it or not, staff counsel on auto cases. Uh, that's loosening up and they're pretty much equipped uh, to do video depositions and so forth. But on the larger cases, I've had two or three status conferences already just for that purpose. Mm, yeah. uh, not, only are, not only are they trying to kick it down the road, but in malpractice cases, some defense counsel are, are saying that they need to be in person to prepare their witness and they're not comfortable doing right. that. And, yep. and the few judges that I've had have come down pretty hard on that and said, we are going to have to make accommodation. They're not entitled to a perfect preparation. They're not entitled to a perfect trial. They're just entitled to a, a fair opportunity to prepare. So I'm very worried about the ability to, be to a, move these big cases. There seems to be a, a, a double-edged sword on the defense side. They're perfectly willing to take your clients, but not so willing by, by yeah. Zoom, but not so willing to have their, yeah. their clients deposed. That's that's what I see and have seen. Yeah, and we've 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 done the same thing. And you know, I I've encountered judges going both ways. I think it's judge dependent. You and you and I, John Houlihan, we both practice in Hartford, um, and there are definitely some judges in Hartford that will hold the feet to the fire and say, defense counsel, you got to do these depositions. But there's a couple others that are reluctant to do it. Um, you know, I, I just said uh, one yesterday and I really wanted to, you know, I really wanted to press and get deposition discovery and it's a malpractice case. And, uh, you know, we've got a trial date in October of next year, 2021. And so the first thing defense counsel said was, why should I agree to deposition? We, we've got 14 months until the trial date. And, you know, that was effective for the, the judge said, well, yeah. why don't we wait and see, you know, Mike, you know, stop, you know, stop being such, you know, you know, such a pain in the neck about this. Let's wait until January. So the trouble is you, you didn't go back to your office and you put that, that file on a shelf and you don't see it again until January and nothing moves. And, uh, you know, I just, I just would like to see the judges more concerned, kind of like the federal court more concerned about pushing these cases forward and we do have it with some judges but we don't have it we don't have it with everyone unfortunately i think the rules you know committee whether has anyone to get is, involved yeah i wondered whether anybody's filed a motion to compel a video deposition and whether it's been granted has anybody heard about that has that happened i know charlie price and, and uh, uh jerry McHenry uh had some difficulty with uh, some lawyers that we know and I think there's a motion pending or one getting ready to be teed up and some. Yeah, that's an interesting question, that. John. Yeah, what our office, we, you know, we talk about this as a group and our office kind of knows the judges in Hartford right now. And what we're saying, we're requesting status conference. If we, if we have a case with a, a jury date this year, we're requesting a status conference because we know that's not going to go. And we're trying to get a new trial date. You know, we kind of wondered, is, are they all going to get used up and we're going to be pushed out? So we're trying to get in there early. I don't think that's the case. I think I think the court in Hartford is double and triple booking in July and August right now. But um, but that's an interesting question. Can you can you force? We were saying, look, if we get one of the judges that we know won't force the deposition for a status conference, we're not even going to bring it up. We're going to leave the status conference and then we're going to file a motion and hope we get a different judge on short right. calendar right. to address it. Hey, Mike, can I ask a question of John yeah, sure. and you for a second? Yeah. Uh, besides the jury trials, uh, what other strategies are you guys using to move your cases forward or to, to entice defendants to actually engage in real settlement negotiations? You know, it, I, it's, it's funny. I mean, one of the things I do, and I know this can be viewed differently among attorneys and some you know, some defense counsel get upset about it. But if I get real, 
real resistance from defense counsel. I'll go to the claim rep. Um, you know, in a med mal case, a lot of times the claim rep really kind of, you know, steers the boat with regards to settlement. Sometimes defense counsel aren't even in, I know defense counsel would say, I don't even want to talk settlement, just call my claim rep. Um, but that's tricky. And you don't want to offend defense counsel either because they play an important role in this. But, um, you know, offers a compromise, another option. They have to send right. that to the claim rep. They have to send that to the defendant position. Um, so, you know, that's another tactic. But unfortunately, you know, the threat of a jury trial has been our best weapon to get these cases settled. And, uh, and it hurts in the bigger cases, you know. Um, let me switch gears for a second and just ask, um, just generally, you know, working remotely and kind of office strategy, um, and you both talked a little bit about this in your opening, but, um, you know, how do you, how do you handle it? Just out of curiosity, if you walk into the office Monday morning and a paralegal comes in and says, you know, I'm really not feeling well. Can I go home? Well, yeah. Everyone says, sure, go home. And then the next day they call in and they say, you know, I got a bit of a fever. I'm not feeling well. What do you guys do in that situation? Well, hopefully, well, thankfully, we haven't really had that situation yet, but <laughs> go ahead, John. John I'm, Lillian? I'm having some, uh, I'm having some audio problems, but if you can hear me, I think that problem begins way before the virus. So if you don't have the right staff, yeah. You are going to have that come in. And we've been very, very lucky. That hasn't been an issue for us. But obviously, you have to have a very low threshold. What we're seeing now is it's vacation time. So someone goes off, and now Rhode Island is on the hit list. So what do you do when someone goes to Rhode Island? Mm -hmm. We had someone uh, go to Colorado. We had someone in North Carolina at the Outer Banks. So we're asking people to be tested when they come back or self-quarantine. And it's quite disruptive, but you just have to be very, very careful. We haven't had a client or another lawyer in our office in five months. Do everything in the parking lot, their home, remotely. And lucky, luckily, we've been able to move business. But just to go back also to the last question about what you do, I would agree on the offers of compromise. But I think we're so wed to jury trials. There's a lot of cases worth Good point. 10, Good 20, $50,000, even $100,000. The, the judges that I've talked to say that you can select a court trial and basically pick your judge. So, you know, I know the defense has a, a built-in uh, resistance to do that, but if they want to move business, it's an easy way to do it. You get young lawyers, get experience. Take a court trial for some of these cases. I think that's a great suggestion, John. Great idea. Uh, yeah, good idea. Okay. Um, we're trying to keep this podcast between 30 and uh, 45 minutes. So I see we're about 15 minutes into it. So I'm going to, at this point, we're going to take a short break. And then when we come back, we're going to have uh, Stephanie Roberge, CTLA president. And also Joan Maloney is going to be with us. And she's the uh, CTLA executive director. So uh, short break. And I'd like to say a word from our sponsor, but we don't have any sponsors yet. So short break, and then we'll be right back. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Okay, we're back. And um, as I said before, we have Stephanie Roberge, the president of the uh, CTLA with us. Uh, hello, Stephanie, thank you for joining us. Hi, Mike. Hi, John. Thanks for having me. And congratulations on being the president of the CTLA. Um, and, Crazy year. Uh, yeah, you picked a good one. <laughs> um, tell us now, I should tell people traditionally, you know, the, the summer is a kind of a quiet, lazy time for the CTLA 
officers. Uh, we have the annual meeting in June, and then the president usually has the summer to kind of think about his or her objectives and what he or she wants to do. What has your summer experience been like, Stephanie? <laughs> well, my summer experience has been very busy. Um, I haven't, uh, to be honest, I uh, haven't had as much time to think about planning for the for the year to come, only because pretty much every day has been very busy in dealing with something new that comes up with respect to, you know, COVID and the pandemic and how it's affecting all of our practice. The good thing is, is I've never been president of CTL before, so I really don't know anything. So this is my, <laughs> this is a normal presidency for me. So, um, <laughs> So it, it, as much as it's been challenging, it's been very rewarding, and it's you you recognize what an important organization CTLA is. You also recognize how lucky we are to have so many dedicated members in all aspects of practice, and from past presidents to young lawyers to you know active members and those that are not necessarily as active. You call upon anyone to help out with something, or if you have an idea about something. I can say that thus far, I have gotten uh, lots of support and lots of energy from all of our membership and wanting to take part in whatever it is, you know, that we may be addressing at the time. And right now, there has been a lot of concern, obviously, about court business, getting, you know, business moving again. And, and little by little, you know, although I took over June 1st, as president-elect, worked closely with Paul and uh, the other office and members CTLA when the pandemic first hit. So we've been very active in addressing as they arise. So, uh, so it's just been a continuum. And I should say, Stephanie, I, I think I've been uh, in attendance on most, if not all, of the meetings that you've had. So I have some basis to say this, that the CTLA is lucky to have you as well. You are doing a, a really wonderful job um, in terms of holding this together. I think, I think you've been doing something every single day of the week, as far as I can tell. And I'm not talking 10 minutes, I'm talking one, two, three hour meetings. So thank you for all that you're, you're doing for it. Let me ask you this. I know there's, um, was a summer session up at the legislature this summer, which is another thing that's a little bit unusual. Um, was there anything during the summer session that, um, impacted the CTLA that you'd like to talk about? Well, yes. Um, and thank you for your kind words, Mike. Um, it's only been two months, but believe me, I and you've been a great help, and I will be calling upon you during the, the rest of it as well. So uh, thank you for that. But happy to help. And we were, um, you know, this was a this is a a really interesting and important time, not only in Connecticut but across the country, because not only, as we all know, have we been hit with this pandemic, but racial injustice has really risen to the forefront and has become the topic of of conversation across the country, it should be. And Connecticut taken their part, and there was a proposal, as I'm sure all of our, regarding a Police Accountability Act. And it's a significant act uh, that deals with a number of issues. And we were asked to comment and, and help and actually justify regarding issues about eliminating qualified immunity. That what ended up resulting is that the state of Connecticut now has a cause of action on our state constant regarding. So we were very busy in that regard. I, I testified via Zoom before the legislature, which I think was a first for the Connecticut legislature. And as much as it was frustrating, a frustrating process, it was a very rewarding process. CTLA can be proud that, that uh, we're involved really importantly. John, do you have any questions for our president? 
Well, you know, I, uh, I <laughs> talk to Stephanie almost every day uh, about a lot of these things. I got to tell you, she is really, really working hard at it. And, you know, we were lucky enough not to have a crisis like this during our presidencies, Mike, because I'm not sure, yeah. sure I would have been able to manage my way through. Uh, this has been a very, very busy summer, as you said. I mean, there's something that comes up every day with respect to the pandemic or the, or the Police Accountability Act or some other aspect of what's going on right now. And uh, now, Stephanie, unfortunately for you, you have to get ready for the next piece, which is to put forward other legislation or to oppose legislation that will harm our, our, uh, our civil action. And uh, I, maybe we could talk a little bit about what the process is. I know you're on the legislative committee, but how we get, how a bill becomes law, so to speak. How do we get proposals from our members and uh, get them in front of Stephanie? See what I think that's to a, do with a great topic. And I'm going to, I'm actually going to give it to Stephanie. Stephanie, if there's a member out there listening and they think they've got a pretty good idea for a new law, new legislation, what do you think they, what, what are their options? What, what should they do in order to get it to get it in front of the CTLA? Well, every year, CTLA holds a legislative retreat, and that takes place in the fall, end of September, early October. And every, every proposal is considered at that retreat. And you're invited, your membership is invited to come to that retreat, provide the bill and even explanation in advance of the, of the meeting, and attend the meeting and explain why the member believes that the bill is important, give an explanation about it, and every bill that comes through on the legislative is considered by the membership. And, and then there's actually, after all the members hear about it, hear about all of the bills or all the proposals, individuals will consider it and actually vote on, well, not necessarily vote, but, but sort of take a poll as to which they believe to be uh, most important. And so they're, they're rated. And then that goes before the legislative committee and invited to continue to talk about your bill until finally a decision is made with the help of our lobbyists as to where we believe it's successful. And then they're ultimately presented, you know, several are presented by CDLA during the next legislative session. So it's a great process if you've not done it, whether your particular piece of legislation gets selected or not, it's a great way to, uh, to learn about up and coming uh, laws and other positions and input. And there's always next year <laughs> if your yeah. particular legislation doesn't, doesn't get selected. We sometimes That's work a on point. a piece of legislation two, three, four years before we get it passed. Uh, the legislative retreat is open to the membership. Anyone can attend. And if you do come with an idea, my suggestion would be do your homework. Just don't throw it out there. I mean, come with some support, like have, have cases where, you know, this, this legislative idea that you're, um, that you're suggesting cases where it's made the difference in the case where cases have been lost because this law hasn't been in effect. Um, can you get victims who will come to testify? Because, you know, we need to know if we can put forth victims at the legislature. Um, so really, come prepared to really talk about the effect of what you're proposing. Um, we're not looking to pass laws that are going to just affect one or two cases. We're trying to pick new legislation that will have the biggest effect on the most number of cases. Um, and that's what we need to know. Um, let me just, before we conclude, Stephanie, just ask you, 
any um, ideas for the upcoming year? And I know you said you didn't have a lot of time to think about it. That's totally understandable. But are there any uh, committees that you're putting special emphasis on, any issues or any ideas that you'd like to, to share with the membership? Well, first and foremost, we would like to keep CTLA as an organization running the way we always have. So all of the committees that have been in place, they are, you know, they are going to be scheduled to continue to throughout the year, but it's going to be doing them or holding them via Zoom as opposed to holding them in person. The, uh, I have put together, and I think John uh, Kennedy alluded to it earlier, is that there has been a lot of anxiety about our courts and and little by little there were you know initially nothing was open and we, we had some and so there was a concern about whether we were gonna get any type of business um, and little by little the courts answered the call so we've had status conference and pretrials now they're doing remote hearings you could you know I, I hear that there had been some actually courtside trials or at least one or two that have started but the real concern, as you discussed earlier at the early uh, part of the podcast, juries, how and when can potentially expect to get jury trials moving again. And so I put together a jury review, COVID-19 jury review committee for and selected potential you know, members of the committee, different size practices, different areas of the state, different types of, of cases that you know, they, they may handle so that there's a sort of a diverse group and a diverse type of ideas to strategize, come up with ideas about how we can potentially trials move, and also strategize about alternatives. Because even if, even if jury trials start or we're able to do it, it's not going to be the volume that we all expected. So for those cases that are still going delayed, you know, share strategy and offer uh, as a guide to get to get. Care. So that uh, group has has been they've been meeting. They're very energized, very excited, lots of different viewpoints, as you spoke about earlier in the podcast. So it will be interesting what the committee come up with, and, and then that will be open to discussion. Stephanie, it's my understanding um, that Governor Lamont issued an executive order suspending the statute of limitation on all cases um, during this pandemic. But that, that executive order is going to come to an end soon, I think in September. Um, if you have a case, and let's say the statute of limitation expired during this time period, and you're taking advantage of Governor Lamont's extension, what's going to happen in September when that executive order comes to an end? Well, there is a lot of uncertainty, uncertainty about what that actually means. So what uh, we recommend, the abundance of caution, is that if you are relying upon Governor Lamont's executive order regarding that tolling or that stay on the statute of limitations during the pandemic, then you should put your case in suit before September 9th. September 9th, the date that essentially most or all of uh, Governor Lamont's orders are going to, are scheduled to expire. And again, out of an abundance of caution, since there's a lot of uncertainty, uncertainty about what that particularly means, uh, we recommend that you put suit so that you avoid any potential statute of limitations. That's good advice. Thank you. Great, Stephanie. Well, I want to thank you. Um, call upon us or anyone as much as you need to throughout the year. So I want to thank you for everything you've done already. And uh, you're doing a great job. So keep up the good work. And it's a Friday afternoon in the summertime now. So I'm going to let you <laughs> let you go home and enjoy the beautiful weather out there. Thank, <laughs> thank you, you very Stephanie. much. Thanks for having me. Bye. Thank, you, thank you for being here. Okay. And our 
Um, next uh, guest on the show today is uh, Joan Maloney. And uh, Joan Maloney, for those of you who have not met her yet, is the executive director of the CTLA. And Joan, how long have you been executive director now? Two years, is it? Uh, nope, this is my fourth president. Actually. Oh my goodness. Oh, uh, well, Time boy. flies. <laughs> Time flies. Um, but I should say, Joan's been with us a lot longer than four years. I right. think Joan's held every single position in the CTLA <laughs> office and uh, always does great work for our organization. Mike, You've done Mike, so much. I think I interviewed Joan when she joined CTLA. Yes. Did you really? Yeah. <laughs> How long ago was that, Joan? Uh, 12 years ago. You don't look wow. any different, Joan. No. Yeah. Oh, God love you, John. <laughs> um, thank you for being with us here today. Thank uh, you. It's a pleasure. Uh, Joan, if people should know if they have any questions about CTLA, um, Joan is the person with all the answers. Um, so let me ask you, um, uh, Joan, what are your thoughts as we go into this kind of strange year with the pandemic? Um, what is the state of CTLA and what are you working on? Well, uh, Right now, we're working remotely still. We come into the office one day a week, but we're 100% up and running. We're a small collaborative staff. Katie Marino is my, my peer. She's our CLE director, most of you know Katie. And our executive assistant is Liz Nolan. And we've all worked together, pretty much the three of us have been together since 2012. So we are, uh, we're in a good position when this all started because we were already working out of the cloud. So that whole part was not a problem for us at all. Uh, it was more the collaboration part that was an issue because we're used to working together. And we found that our members felt the same way and that we've also found that as we reach out to our members, they're much less formal now and they're talking about their own stories and their families. And it's, it's really nice. We've got to know quite a number of members that we've never even spoken with. Member outreach is our number one priority right now. We're trying to engage members you know, keep them in the fold to be isolated right now. And we have a lot to offer and they have a lot to offer. And together, that's, that'll be a really good combination. Sure. What, what's the story on the annual meeting? I know we didn't have it, obviously. Um, any thoughts about doing a, a remote or we kind of just wait till next year? We talked about doing a remote, um, but since we've sort of already taken pieces of that and, and done that already through the CLE program, we uh, were hoping to do it in the fall. But then with the way things are now, we've actually put it off. So now it's just going to be in June. I mean, if, if something changes and we can have at least some sort of a membership event during the year, we'll do that. But right now, the annual meeting is just scheduled for June of 2021. Does the CTLA offer any programs to assist attorneys with their cases, perhaps valuing their cases or settling their cases or anything of that nature? We do. We have our case strategy and analysis service that's available to members only. We've done actually a, quite a number of them by Zoom since this all started, and we've found out that it's even more efficient to do it that way and easier. So we'll probably continue that even when this whole thing is over. A panel of four attorneys, there's three attorneys plus the person who requests it, that the, the requester submits some documents ahead of time, and, and the panel is selected based upon their area of expertise so that the person gets a really solid panel. It's about an hour long. And people have said when they walk away that the ones who actually help with the case have learned as much as the person who requested. It's quite popular. Hey, Mike, yeah, I, if John. I could just chime in on that. I have to tell you that I've served several times as one of the panel people to help uh, somebody who came in with a case. And it really is very rewarding. I mean, people, uh, we learn a lot as, from the people who come to see us and they learn a lot. There was one case a few years ago, and I'm not going to mention the name of the attorney, but came to see us about a a case and then went and tried the case and got a multi-million dollar verdict. 
I was hoping I'd get a piece of the fee. Yeah. It, it, didn't work, it, 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 didn't, it didn't work out that yeah. way. But he learned a lot more than we ever expected. Let's put it that way. You know, so I've it, had the same it experience. It's a great program. Really it's a great, great program. program for the money. I mean, it's a nominal charge. Was it like a couple hundred dollars or something, it's John? It's two, $2.95. Yeah, it's a nominal charge. And you get three, four really experienced plaintiff personal injury attorneys that spend an hour talking to you about your case, valuing it, strategy. They have to, I mean, we have a rule in the CTLA that none of those individuals can act like you can't refer the case to them. So don't don't be afraid that any of these guys are going to try to just show up and tell you to refer the case to them. And that doesn't go, you're not allowed to do that if you serve on a panel. And um, they're there just really to help you become a better attorney on your case. And really, it's not just for young lawyers either. It's for anyone. We get some of the most experienced lawyers in the organization that do it. And they always come away being glad they've done it as well. Anything else you'd like to talk about, Joan? You've got the floor and you've got hopefully uh, some members whose last name aren't Kennedy, Roberts, or Walsh <laughs> listening. <laughs> Maybe Houlihan. Maybe Houlihan. <laughs> sure. Um, one thing I, I would like to mention is to just draw people's attention to uh, the eviction defense pro bono initiative that CTLA, it was started a couple of years ago when Link Woodard was president and we're still carrying it through. And recently I was speaking with a couple of people from Greater Hartford Legal Aid and Statewide Legal Services and the Connecticut moratorium on evictions is scheduled to expire this month. And that's likely to produce a flood of evictions that will for a large number of people's families and their homes into turmoil. It's gonna you know, disproportionately affect people of color who are just gonna, they have been how to sit by this pandemic. So we're gonna be getting some more information from these associations that we've worked with in the past. And as before, you'll be paired with somebody in the district that will be your mentor through the entire process. So we're really hoping that we can see an, an influx of people that are willing to go ahead and take some of these cases as they become available. Um, as I said in an email sent earlier, this used to be a case of the month but the way they describe it is gonna be like drinking out of a fire hose when this happens. So we're really hoping to get people geared up and ready to go when the time comes. Thank you, uh, Joan. And I wanna thank you also for coming uh, onto Zoom on this Friday afternoon and, and joining us. And uh, again, if anybody wants to contact Joan, she's the most successful person I know, call her at the CTLA office and I'm sure she's got the answer to your question. And that pretty much concludes our podcast today. John, is there anything else you wanna add before we uh, no. wrap it up? No, Mike, I think you've done a terrific job being our host today, and uh, hopefully we can go forward and onward and upward here with more down the road. John, I'm the play-by-play, -play and you're the color man. Well, that, that makes sense, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, thank you all. And uh, I'm going to conclude now, but we are going to have future uh, podcasts, so stay tuned, and uh, we look forward to the effort. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Pod Ipsa Locator. The number to contact the CTLA is 860-522-4345. Their website is located at cttriallawyers.org.